Hi, and welcome to the San Francisco Business Times Structures Podcast, where we're talking about the news, policies, and trends in Bay Area real estate. I'm Kevin Trong, the multimedia producer here with the Business Times, and I'm only here with Roland Lee, our real estate reporter. Blanca Torres is on vacation this week, but she should be back on the next episode. And in this episode, we wanted to talk a little bit about Mayor Edwin Lee, who died at the age of 65 unexpectedly last week. We kind of wanted to go a little bit into you know his legacy, um, both in terms of the business side as well as his, his relationship with the business and real estate community, and and some of the criticism that he um, endured throughout his career and his tenure as mayor. But why don't we kind of start with the basic biographical sketch of Mayor Lee? Um, so he was born in Seattle, grew up in the public housing projects before coming to the Bay Area, graduating from law school, um, where he worked as a time as a community activist and organizer, and then eventually entered uh, San Francisco politics as a city administrator and as a member of the bureaucracy before ascending to the city's top job. You know, and it profiles about Mayor Lee, one thing that's always mentioned is the fact that he was a bit of an unlikely mayor. Um, So what was the kind of situation that actually led him to, to take the city's top political job? So there's a bit of a parallel to now in that uh, there was a vacancy, and in the middle of Mayor Gavin Newsom's term, uh, Newsom had been elected to the California uh, lieutenant governor position. And in January 2011, uh, the Board of Supervisors was tasked with picking a successor. And it's kind of the same situation right now in that we have uh, acting mayor London Breed, who's a supervisor. but in, at that point, there was no acting mayor because Newsom was, had not yet vacated the position in early January. And so, uh, you know, back in 2011, I wasn't living here, but the economy was basically in shambles. Um, it was kind of in the, the depths of the recession. And, you know, there were a lot of politicians eyeing the, the mayoral seat. The idea was that Mayor Lee would be a caretaker. He would be a steady hand until the next election. Um, so he would only serve about a year was the plan. And as part of the agreement, um, he said that he would not run for office. And by all measures, it seemed like he, he didn't want to. He was kind of nearing retirement age, had spent you know, a long time at City Hall. And, you know, it was, I think we can definitely go into this more, but was not really seen as like a political kind of, you know, figurehead. He was not the kind of exciting, flashy personality that San Francisco was kind of used to. So Mayor Lee took office, and the the job market was really struggling, and his first focus throughout his first couple of years was jobs. You know, during Mayor Lee's tenure, he saw, you know, one of the um, biggest increases in in median household wealth. He saw a, a big decline in the unemployment level. But can you kind of talk a little bit about how he's transformed from this person who was, you know, a, seen as a bit of a caretaker, a bit of as more of a, a an egghead or, or bureaucrat, and, and how he actually ended up taking power and, and some of the influence he's had um, during his tenure and after he uh, won his election? Yeah, I mean, he, I would say that, you know, it was kind of striking number of the developers that I talked to you know, the day he died. I said that, you know, he didn't really change that much as a person. He was still you know, pretty humble, friendly, kind of joking guy. Um, you know, he was still kind of beloved by kids and you know, cared a lot about the city. But, you know, he definitely put in some major policy changes. So I think the, the most infamous one now 
that everyone has kind of recounted is the so-called Twitter tax break, which was actually not just for Twitter, but for anyone who moved into the mid-market area. Uh, so in 2011, that area was in a lot of trouble. A lot of the existing tenants, like the Bank of America, Data Center, the Furniture Mart, uh, they had all moved out or folded, and it was really struggling. You know, and in line with this idea of creating jobs, uh, Mayor Lee and, and as well as the Board of Supervisors at the time decided to do this, you know, payroll tax exemption that would basically let these uh, companies get attracted to the area. And at the time, Twitter had been kind of threatening to leave, possibly go to Brisbane. Um, so it was seen as kind of capitulation to them by some critics. Uh, but in the end, you know, it was passed the Board of Supervisors. Uh, Jane Kim, who's currently the, you know, so the local supervisor supported it. Uh, she kind of pushed for these community benefits as part of the agreement. And I mean, I, if you look at the, you know, unemployment now, in the area and the, the vacancy rate, I mean, there's almost no available s- space for office anymore. There's just thousands of new jobs in the area. Twitter would eventually you know, take that old furniture mart building. And, you know, while that area has definitely seen some continued challenges with crime and, um, you know, retailers closing, it's definitely changed a lot. I mean, there's just tons of new jobs that weren't there before. And I think that's that's the biggest theme of at least tenure. Just, you know, the economy added something like, you know, 15,000 new jobs every year. Um, unemployment went down to below 3%, which is essentially zero. Uh, but of course, the, the flip side is that the housing shortage means that San Francisco also saw rents double or even triple compared to 2011. And now it's the most expensive city in the country. So yeah, so the Twitter tax break is interesting because I think it feeds into a lot of the uh, political debate and um, political conflict we're seeing in San Francisco today. There's there's seems to be two caricature sides. One, um, people fighting against income inequality. The, the other, the greedy developers and greedy big uh, tech companies. Yeah, so he was kind of a, a central figure, especially when it came to the, the Twitter tax break. And, and people pointed that to him as him almost like leaning to, to some of these technology companies. But, you know, how much of an impact did he actually have in in creating this divide and in creating this income inequality. And on the other hand, what has he done um, under his tenure to, to increase kind of the affordable housing stock to help the city's most vulnerable residents, which ironically enough, when he was an activist, that was part of his passion. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's, there's even irony. I think there's a continuation of him definitely caring a lot about low-income housing and public housing. And I mean, one of the things that he doesn't really get recognized for as much is that he basically overhauled the entire public housing stock in San Francisco by essentially letting nonprofit operators take over, um, you know, using private capital to essentially do new construction and make you know, a lot of these kind of aging, unsafe units into you know, brand new, beautiful, modern apartments for low-income people, you know, some of the city's most vulnerable people. So I don't think there's actually, you know, he didn't necessarily you know, lose that those values of helping low-income people. I think that was a central part of what he did. Um, another thing was the housing trust fund. You know, basically as the economy was crashing, he, you know, did this kind of grand bargain to uh, lower the, you know, affordable housing requirement for new projects, but at the same time, you know, ensure that there was continued funding. Um, you know, this was right after Jerry Brown got rid of redevelopment agencies, which was a huge blow to affordable housing. But yeah, definitely on the tech thing. I mean, that's a huge controversial point. Um, but I, I would say, I mean, I was looking at just all the IPOs that happened under his. Kind of administration, 
you know, Facebook went public just, you know, it was 2012, and now they've, you know, become one of the biggest companies in the world. Uh, you know, you had Zanga not doing as well, but, you know, still a presence. You had uh, Yelp, Go Public, Square. Uh, so just tons of wealth creation wasn't really, you know, can be something that he could ever control or, you know, I don't think he would want to control that and that he wanted to have jobs in San Francisco. But, you know, with something like Facebook, they were growing in Silicon Valley, but a lot of the housing demand was definitely coming up here because, you know, their workers like to live in San Francisco and take the, the tech shuttles down. So, you know, I think you know, Gabe Metcalf, the uh, CEO of Spur, which is a great urban think tank um, in San Francisco, he was saying that mayors get credit for, you know, maybe more credit than deserve for job growth, but also more blame than they deserve sometimes for, you know, income inequality. So I think his policies definitely had a big impact, especially in the office market. But, you know, when you have something like three of the most valuable companies in the world, you know, a few miles from you, you know, you can't really control that as a mayor. You know, when Apple, Facebook, and Google are headquartered, you know, the next, uh, or two counties over, you, know, you don't really have that much power as a mayor. And, or, you know, the federal government doesn't have that much power over these tech companies. They just make a lot of money. So Well, tough. okay. So I'm going to push back a little bit. And, and- you know, one of the most visible signs of this income inequality has been kind of the homeless population that we've seen um, really increase, both in San Francisco and across the Bay Area, 10 encampments. We have businesses complaining about these sorts of things, higher crime, higher uh, property crimes, and, and things like that. Um, how central was that to, to some of the mayor's priorities during his tenure, and what, what are some of the things that he tried to do in order to make you know, San Francisco, an inclusive city for, for those people as well. Yeah, I mean, I would say a lot of the data shows that the number of homeless people has actually been pretty flat over the last couple years. Um, but I've been hearing that a lot of it is more visible because, um, again, due to some of Mayor Lee's policies, a lot of the parking lots and vacant areas have been redeveloped. And so that has pushed more homeless people you know, onto these more central streets downtown. Um, but I think definitely a lot of his critics would say that he did not pivot or focus on homelessness until maybe only a few years ago. Um, so he created the Department of Homelessness, which is the first time one city agency was responsible for that issue. And he's been, over, uh, you know, over the last couple of years opening these navigation centers, which are essentially temporary, you know, areas with bedding and um, you, you can bring all your uh, belongings and bring your pets. So, you know, I'd say it's kind of more attractive to some homeless people compared to shelters because there's a little more freedom. Uh, but, you know, clearly what we see in the streets is just very painful and, you know, I think it's way more visible than just even a few years ago. And I think a, a lot of his, you know, just a lot of people in the city, I think the vast majority would say that he did not focus enough on the homelessness problem until, you know, probably years later mm-hmm. than he should have. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, turning turning from from one of the the things that he may have misstepped on to to one of his you know biggest, I would say accomplishments was was bringing the Golden State Warriors um, to San Francisco, helping to to kind of broker that that deal. What role did he play in that? I mean, obviously it's a privately funded stadium, but role, what role did he play in that in kind of um, bringing you know a major sports team into the the kind of city limits of of San Francisco? I mean, I would say. Definitely just the entire southeast waterfront area, um, you know, under Mayor Lee has really sort of transformed. So you have the Warriors Stadium being built. Uh, so I think one of the big things there was that, you know, the, the city prepared this giant environmental report and the, the arena got sued by neighbors who complained about traffic. 
Um, but you know, they definitely the city stuck with that, and they were basically defending the project, and they they won a you know they won all the lawsuits that were you know, went through court. And I think just overall, he's he's been pushing for a redevelopment, uh, you know, of the entire area. You know, you have Mission Bay pretty much built out now, but uh, you know, next up will be India Basin. Uh, Pier 70 is now approved, and you know his departments are definitely very key in kind of getting the uh, 40% affordable housing figure there. Um, you know he's he was kind of involved in Central Subway, eventually connecting uh, through Soma down to the T line. So um, I think he definitely you know he had a big focus. You know a lot of the changes now are in Soma and Transbay, but I'd say that the mayor definitely had a big eye on just changing. And then the final frontier, you know, the, the southernmost areas of the city, uh, you know, Pier 70, Shipyard. Um, so he, you know, has kind of set up San Francisco to grow, you know, by, by thousands of new people over the next decade or two. So I kind of want to touch a little bit on, on his personal style. We kind of talked a little about how he was an unlikely mayor, never really went into public politics. And when you compare his sort of personality with some of his most re- recent predecessors, you have Willie Brown. Gavin Newsom, people known almost for their charisma. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, his his lack of, um, I guess, talent in that area and and what that actually meant for his reputation and and some of the criticism he received while he was in office? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, you you kind of saw that in all the uh, the outpouring of of grief last week. Just he was a very likable man, you know, in City Hall. On a personal level, he was very. He was a city you know, administrator for a while, so he probably yeah, got to know a lot of the. Definitely, staff. I mean, he was just, you know, he was a just a nice guy. He would, you know, joke and be friendly. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't a very kind of like imperialistic mayor. Like he was, you know, he was just kind of regular guy, is how Eric Tao put it. But I think on the you know the citywide stage, you know, he was definitely seen as a bit too passive in that he. He would accomplish a lot of things with his policies, but he wouldn't really, you know, make like, grand speeches that often. He wouldn't really, you know, kind of go to the voters and try to sell these policies, mm-hmm. you know, just regularly, like a lot of other big city mayors. So I think, you know, people were, would complain that, you know, Ed Lee isn't really visible. He's doesn't he's present. He doesn't feel like, a, you know, a force in the city, even though... Yeah, because part yeah. of a mayor's responsibility past just you know, doing the legislative behind-the-scenes work is actually acting as almost the head of state, the, the top cheerleader for the city. And and I think in, in some ways, some of the other political figures we've seen emerge during his tenure have almost taken that role. Yeah, I mean, I would say he was definitely, you know, had very strong ties to China. He would go visiting there. I think he was just there a couple months ago. Uh, you know, obviously a big sports fan, uh, very very active in, in certain areas but you know I don't think you you saw him talking about you know the impacts of gentrification or you know the housing crisis you know as much as maybe another mayor would have and that I think that did, definitely hurt him you know politically because there was sort of a void there and you know you can kind of fill that void when other players in city hall kind of you know want to jump in um and, you know, there was this idea that, oh, he's just kind of the, the tech puppet, like Ron Conway, who gave a lot of money to his campaign. He's the real one controlling, you know, the strings. Or, you know, Airbnb, you know, they have all this lobbying money. Or Uber, you know, a lot of the citizens would see these, you know, a lot of these platforms just doing what they wanted, um, at least on the service level. You know, Uber can just park anywhere they want. They're in the bike lanes. They're in, you know, the middle of streets. 
and there isn't really that kind of enforcement. So I think that definitely, you know, was a major flaw, you know, from the perspective of just, you know, leading the city and. Well, yeah, that underscores uh, the, the you know the difference between being the head city administrator and being the mayor, right? The the kind of political um, skill that that it requires, and um, maybe you know the way that he actually rose to power um, lends itself to some of that criticism. Or yeah, I mean, it's, this is personality, and you know, Eric Tao, who's also Asian American, was saying, you know, part of it is kind of this cultural thing where, you know, if you're a you know Asian immigrant, you're kind of brought up to be humble, never. You know, don't brag, just be, you know... Kind of Work a, hard, keep your head down. Yeah, just kind of, like, you know, spread, spread around the credit, like, be a good colleague, which I think everyone believes he was and genuinely liked him, liked him. But, you know, it's tough. It's tough when you're, you know, head of a city that's basically going through more change than probably anywhere else in the country right now. So um, that was definitely, I think, his big kind of flaw or weakness. Well, it's interesting that you touched on, you know, his... Um, his ethnicity and his background. I mean, one of the things that is also mentioned in every single profile written about him is the fact that he is um, the first Asian American mayor of of a major of a major city, and, and especially in a city like San Francisco, where roughly a third of the population is Asian American. He was an avatar to to a lot of um, people in the community, and I feel like especially during the later parts of his tenure, when he started to be represented in some, some circles as this sort of tech puppet, he kind of lost that that base and that connection. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't. I would say that he was still very strongly supported. Um, you know, in 2015, he was running for election, and there was a lot of dissatisfaction, but he ended up having no real challengers, and he overwhelmingly won the Chinese-American vote. So um, I would say, you know, a lot of what we read about is not really the indicative of the Chinese-American community, mm-hmm. the Asian-American community. So, um, you know, I would say you definitely had a lot of that support. One one probably, you know, point of contention was when he appointed Julie Christensen to the District 3 um, seat instead of an Asian-American, which is, that's the district that includes Chinatown. Um, so that was definitely kind of, you know, a big, I'd say, misstep in his relationship with Rose Pack and kind of that community. But Well, I mean, um, even in the most recent debate about cannabis, he was being really attacked from from those circles. And I think, I mean, maybe it feeds into a little bit what we were talking about before, the lack of political skill in being able to, um, you know, communicate with that community as well as also the other side. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say with cannabis, that was really the Board of Supervisors debating a lot of that, and the mayor didn't really have, you know, as much of a presence, which uh, definitely does allude to you know, the idea that he was, you know, he would basically, you know, pick his fights and his issues, um, and, you know, in, in some cases kind of defer to the board and let them legislate. So, yeah, it was definitely, I mean, you know, it wasn't a perfect ride, you know, between him and the Chinese-American community. But I would say, like, he will definitely be remembered as a trailblazer. Although, to fact check, Gene Kwan was actually, uh, you know, an Asian-American mayor before him, and I think there was someone in SoCal. But definitely, this is the biggest city that an Asian-American person has led, so... So when you go into ultimate legacy and maybe, you know, five, ten years down the road, you know, where do you think Mayor Lee is going to be remembered or how do you think he's going to be remembered? Obviously, he presided over a time of nearly unprecedented growth in San Francisco, but also unprecedented um, income income inequality. Um, do you think it's going to be a complicated kind of story when we look back on his, his tenure? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think 
just his most visible legacy is the skyline. I mean, it's called Salesforce Tower. It's built um, pretty much fully during his administration, um, just many other buildings. So I think, you know, this was really the era where San Francisco went from being, you know, a nice kind of city everyone that loves to visit, but now it's transformed into this tech juggernaut and, you know, just economic juggernaut. And I would say, you know, Mayor Lee was kind of the central figure there uh, between the Twitter tax break, the Transbay rezoning, the waterfront development, um, you know, just the growth of Airbnb and Uber and Lyft just in his, you know, in his city limits. So, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely going to be complicated. I mean, I think it, a lot of it depends on, you know, where do home prices and, and rents go the next few years? You know, will all this supply that he signed off on and supported, will that actually make a difference? And, um, you know, if the rest of the region doesn't build housing either, it's, it's going to be tough, I think. And we're going to continue to see that, that uh, disparity. Um, board President London Breed is currently acting mayor. Um, and then the board has a choice on whether to uh, vote or appoint an interim mayor. So let's try to game out the politics over the next year or so. What's going to be happening with that? Does London Breed have the support within the board um, to actually be made the official interim mayor and have a leg up as the incumbent in the next election? Yeah, it's not clear right now, but uh, you know, other publications have been reporting that she will not be able to get to six votes. Um, for one thing, she cannot vote for herself, so you would need uh, six of the other ten supervisors to support her. Um, so we just found out that Supervisor Jane Kim is running for mayor in June, so obviously she will not be voting, I don't think, for Leonard Reed to be interim mayor. So it's it's probably going to be tough. So we've heard that um, potentially the city administrator uh, or the controller might become uh, interim mayor and just kind of be that steward. As a kind of Edley redo. Right, but the <laughs> difference here is that they don't have to. They would have to file to run um, basically before they're appointed. So unless they, they file, which I don't think is going to happen, um, you know, they would be kind of actually caretakers with no chance of running the next election. Uh, we also have Mark Leno running, who is actually, you know, he's been termed out for a number of months, so he's been uh, campaigning for a while now. So he, he actually has about $400,000 already saved up. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Strong so he, he was the first major candidate to announce and kind of start gaining Yeah, absolutely. Um, then we had uh, Angela Aliotto, who is the daughter of a former mayor. Uh, she just also running, um, has been out of politics for a while, though. And, you know, the other potential candidates uh, include Mark Farrell, another uh, you know, more moderate member of the Board of Supervisors, David Chu, who was the um, state assemblyman, and uh, potentially city attorney Dennis Herrera. So it's going to be a wild um, year next year. Uh, also on the ballot next year, Prop 13 split role changes, uh, potentially re- repealing the um, cost Hawkins rent control protections for new buildings. And of course, Senate, uh, all the House of Representatives races, and Governor of California. So I urge all of our listeners, please register to vote. It's going to be a really important year. Make your voice heard. And we'll definitely talk about all those results as they come in on the podcast. Thank you, Roland, for, for being here and talking to me a little bit about Mayor Lee. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Business Times Structures podcast. Uh, you can find us at SanFranciscoBusinessTimes.com, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SanFranciscoBusinessTimes, or on Twitter at SFBusinessTimes. You can follow us individually on Twitter at Kevin B. Trong and at Roland Lee SF. 
And as always, please rate and subscribe if you really like what we're doing here. It really helps us get um, this podcast out to more listeners. Um, And keep it coming with tips, tricks, suggestions for guests or critiques. We really appreciate all the feedback. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.